Alright, we're in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to do tonight's sermon. Then next Sunday we will finish the book of Philippians. and chapter, We'll do chapter 4 uh, of next, next week. Uh, we look at chapter 3. Uh, we, we've already done verses 1 to 11. So let's, let's look at 12 and following. Uh, the Bible is filled with examples of people who took their eye off the prize who took their eye off the goal, and, and people who settled for, for less than what they had been given or, uh, by God, the promise of God. Uh, I think if you look at the Old Testament, you certainly see Esau was one of those people who had a birthright, was willing to sell it for a bowl of stew. Um, Saul, by his own declaration, said, you know what? I heard what you said, God, and I, I, was, I intended to be obedient. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here. But the people wanted this, so I did what the people wanted. And, and he, he gave up a lot. He, kept, he took his eye off of, of what, what it needed to be on. Uh, the rich young ruler would probably fall in that category, too. Had the opportunity, standing in, think, think about it, standing in the very presence of Jesus, and Jesus speaking to him, and yet he walks away. Um, we have a real enemy of our soul. And if he could offer us something to get our eye off of the prize and keep us from finishing the race that God has put us in and, or, or the call God has called us to, uh, you, can, you can be guaranteed he's going to do that. If you've got a price, uh, you, he's quite likely to try to pay that, or, uh, to pay that price to you. So we, uh, as Paul gets ready to end this, this letter, uh, before he gets to the, to the closing comments, which again we'll look at next week, he wants to remind the people to keep their eye on the goal, to realize what's really important, what's really valuable, uh, where we ought to be looking and be very careful. Because there is, despite what you're hearing so much in the world today and even some churches today, there is an eternity. Okay, uh, When we leave this world, we're going somewhere. And everybody's going somewhere. You know, Some people say, well, only the believers will see the face of God. Well, I don't really believe I believe everybody will see the face of God. They'll either see him as their father saying, welcome home, or they'll see him as their judge saying, depart from me, I don't even know you. But everybody will see God on that day. And eternity hangs in the balance concerning in, with, the, with the decisions we make today. Be very careful of the, the movement that you see today, the movement toward universalism, that is that everybody eventually will be saved. Uh, it's interesting, universalism used to be very simple. That is, basically everybody would be saved. Everybody, basically everybody was already saved. Universally, it's become very complex today. You don't only have people that teach that, that everybody's going to be saved, but they, they teach that if you miss it here on earth, you're going to get another chance somewhere in eternity. So, so I, I, don't, I, don't even know the, I don't even know the need for, for that. You think about that. If you're going to reject Christ, why would you accept Christ in eternity? You know? It doesn't even make sense. But it becomes more and more complex. And when men try to, try to add to the scripture, that's what they do. They try to cover all their bases. Okay? Paul reminds us, and we'll see this as we finish out our, our teaching tonight. He reminds us that there is an eternity. And there is a destination for all people. But before he gets to that point, he talks about keeping on. One of, one of, one of the uh, uh, attributes of the Holy Spirit working is that patience. That that hanging in there, that, that not giving up. We, we might even use the word persistence there. 
But it's not just persistence in, in, in endeavoring to do better or to do more. It really is, if you want to put it this way, it is, is a continual willingness to surrender to who the Lord is in your life and trust the Holy Spirit to lead you. That's what he's called us to. It's not just a matter of hanging on. That's, I, I think sometimes we get that, that idea of persistence, just hanging on. I want to hang on no matter what. But the reality is that, that it is he who hangs on to us and he's called us to respond to him as he does not let go of us. So let's look at these verses and then we'll talk about them. Start with verse 12. We'll read through the end of chapter 3, which ends at 21. Here's what he said. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that it may lay hold of which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, if any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Verse 17 now says, Brethren, join in, the following, in following my example and note those who, who, who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I've already told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it, will, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. Great promise there at the end. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But let's begin where he begins. Look at verses 12 to 14. The realization that we are called to continue on. Paul realizes some things about himself that that I think... we live in an incredible time with the information age where people are able to, to give information back and forth. How many of you are on Facebook or on some sort of social media or something like that? Very easy to get information. As that. And it's, I always find it interesting on Facebook, uh, at least on my Facebook, because I, I, I guess I have a lot of people challenge me. All the experts, they know everything. Okay? One of the things we need to realize, and we talked about humility before, even, even in this study, is like... Like the Apostle Paul, we're still in this process. We are still moving forward. We, it can be said we have the promise of eternal life, we who are born again. It can be said that we have the guarantee of the glorification of our bodies in the same way that Christ Jesus was glorified. But it also must be noted that we are called, while we are on this earth, to continue to grow and to continue to develop and to continue to mature in the things that God has called us to. It's part of God's plan that when you, are, you and I are born again, we certainly receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't receive the Holy Spirit piecemeal. We don't get a part of him, and then you get a part, and you get a part. And he doesn't come in in stages. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit moves in. We become, Paul says, the temple of the living God, or the temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes in. He moves in. He dwells, he dwells within us, okay? So when we are born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus talked about that as the baptism, the true baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we are now immersed or we are covered or we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what doesn't happen when we are born again is that instantaneously we know everything about our faith. We know everything about God. We know everything about, about eternity. We know everything about the Bible. Now, when, we were, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit could come in and just say, Zap, you got it. And we get the whole load at one time. Uh, but he doesn't do that, does he? We are called to continue to walk in that relationship with God. Keeping our eye on the goal. Understanding that God intended a relationship with us that's based upon love, which also means that it's based upon a genuine response on our part to God who loved us first. The Bible says we love him. Why? Because he loved us first. We are, we are called to respond to that. Part of that response is to daily surrender to the Holy Spirit and his work in our life. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Tell me. What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a believer? Just begin saying some things. Guides. Okay, first of all, guides. Guides. Hang on. We'll go one at a time. Real quick. Guides. He guides. Okay? He can't guide us if we're not responsive to his leadership. Okay? What's the next one? David, you said what? Okay, he, he, will, he will always point, or glory, he says, Jesus said, he will glorify me. Holy Spirit is always making Jesus known. You want to know Jesus deeper every day? Then you, must, you and I must respond to the Holy Spirit as he is at work in our lives revealing Jesus to us. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Comforter. Say it back in. Comforter. Comforter. Two of you said that. Comforter. Okay. He is there to meet every need that we have. Now, he knows how best to do that. And what you know what else? We're, have you figured out yet we're all kind of unique? Some more unique than others? But we all are kind of unique, aren't we? And we don't always know how to meet the needs of other people. We may want to, but we don't always know how to meet the needs. But the Holy Spirit is perfect in that. He comforts the heart. But once again, you have to be responsive to that. You can quench the Holy Spirit as he tries to comfort you. You can reject the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit as he tries to do Other things the Holy Spirit does. Okay, he convicts us. How does, how does God work in our life? Even we as Christians, he convicts us. What's the purpose of conviction? The purpose of conviction is realization on our part. He convicts us of sin. Makes us aware of that sin. Then we are called to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, come into agreement with God about the fact that we have sinned, confess that sin, repent of that sin, and go another way. But again, if we shut ourselves off to the Holy Spirit, then we shut ourselves off to conviction of sin. It is why some Christians continue to live in sin. It's the worst place for a Christian to be. Okay? I love how conviction works. It's not guilt. It's the enemy that works at guilt with guilt. It's the Holy Spirit that works with conviction. Conviction always has a positive goal. If you think about it, guilt that's been laid upon you by another human being or by the enemy of your soul, has, ha, there's, no, there's no purpose in, or intention on the person putting that guilt upon you for you to get better. They just want you to feel worse. They want to destroy you. That's what the devil loves to do. He likes to load you down with guilt. Okay? And people who are mad at you, they like to load you down with guilt. Holy Spirit convicts you for a positive purpose so that we, so that my, we might... Walk right with God. What does the Holy Spirit do? Helps us pray. Pardon me? He helps you pray. Okay? Again, requiring a response. Gives us understanding. Okay. He gives us understanding. 
He opens our heart, our mind, and our soul to the things of God. Anything else? Teaches. Okay, peace. The peace of God. He works in us to give us that peace. Someone over here? He teaches us. He teaches us. He's our teacher. He said, what now? Yes. Yeah, a witness of the Lord. Think about all these things the Holy Spirit does. So my point is this. The Holy Spirit comes into us when we're saved. And he begins at that point to work within us. And he will work within us for the rest of our life here on earth. Okay? Or he intends to work within us for the rest of our life here on earth. We are required to respond every day to him. In that response, that's where we begin to grow. We begin to mature. We begin to develop into the people that God has called us to be. Here's a truism. We will never fully become everything we need to be this side of heaven. For as long as we're on this earth, we're still dealing with this flesh. We're still dealing with the presence of sin. We're actually still dealing with the power of sin. Although we don't have to give in to it anymore. It's still there. The influence of sin. Maybe, maybe I'll put it that way. The day's going to come when we will leave this world and we will go into that place that's prepared for us by the hands of Jesus. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more temptation. And we will be as Jesus Christ is. That's going to be a good day, isn't it? It's going to be a good day. It's a great promise he has for us. But until that day, Paul reminds us here that we need to realize we we must, first of all, keep our eye on that goal. Eternal life. Is it wrong to think about heaven too much? Is it wrong to think about eternal life too much? I don't think so. And you've heard the old cliche, they're so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I think that's a a misnomer. I think it's only when we are heavenly minded that we actually become earthly good. When we think on the things above, then we're ready to be used by the Holy Spirit to touch people around us. When we have our eye on the genuine pride, eternal life in Christ Jesus, that's when we're right. And when we walk in that, in that perspective of life, then we'll be reaching people. Because, because we'll have our perspective right. And we'll, we'll also have our priorities right. So Paul realizes, and he says here, not that I've already attained, not that I'm already perfect. And he's talking about his walk here. It's interesting the Apostle Paul, probably the most open of, of disciples about his own shortcomings. He really is. He talked about, he called, him, he called himself, I'm the chief of sinners. And by the way, that's not where he said, follow me. Okay? You know, he talked about that. Here he, here he, he doesn't claim, you know, perfection. He, he, he claims that he's still growing. He's still good. He talks about in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about, you know, I struggle. Paul says, I want to do what's right, but I find myself doing what's wrong. Even though I know it's wrong and I don't want to do it, I still do that. And there's this great battle that goes on within me. Anybody familiar with that battle on your own? Want to do what's right and stuff. So Paul himself is saying he's learning. He's learning daily to trust the Holy Spirit. He's learning daily to live a life that's submissive to God. And that's what he calls us to. It's at the moment that you think you've arrived that you're about ready to get in trouble. Does the Bible say, be careful when you think you're strong because you're about ready to fall. Because the Bible reminds us that it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. It's in my realization that I can't that I trust him. 
It's in my realization that I'm inadequate, that I must rely upon him to do what I cannot do on my own. And so Paul speaks this to us, and, he, and, he, and in verse 13 he, talks, he says, I do not count, count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Look at what he says he does. He forgets those, those things which have gone before. What's he talking about? Is it wrong to remember, have good memories? No, he's not talking about memories here. He's talking about where he was before. He's talking about what he was involved in before. He doesn't let the past keep him from being responsive to the Holy Spirit today. And we need to be very careful of that also. One of the things that Pastor Cliff said this morning at the end of the sermon, I hope you heard it. Talked about forgiving others a lot in the sermon stuff, but at the end, what did he finally say? He said, you also need to be able to forgive yourself. You know, see, I try to work it this way. I don't, I don't do it perfectly. When I have people that I have trouble forgiving, that I know God's forgiven, I say, I have no right. And that includes Tony. Okay? We have the reality of a past life and past activities. And the enemy likes to keep bringing those things up. There's that guilt that I was talking about. The enemy knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've thought. He knows what you've said. He knows all of those things. And he's very good at reminding those things to you. Have you ever had the experience of, I'll just say for for me, something happened when I was 16 years old. There are some days in my walk where that's like it just happened yesterday. And the enemy wants to say, what you did, what you said, how you acted, how can you possibly share Jesus with people? How can you possibly talk about the Lord? You know, it's, a money, it's an amazing thing what the devil likes to do. He likes to talk about the holiness and the righteousness and the glory of God only in the sense to make us feel guilty about the fact that we're not. You ever think about that? He don't mind talking about how good and wonderful God is as long as he can turn that around and say... That's why you can't be used of God, because you're not. The enemy likes to take us back to the past. And he likes to remind us of that. So that we're incapable of being used of the Holy Spirit today. So what does Paul say? I forget those things that have gone beyond before. I, I set those things aside. If you are forgiven of God, then you're forgiven. There is no more perfect forgiveness than, than, than the forgiveness that God does. Because what does he do? Because God does something that we are, we're not capable fully of doing. God not only, not only forgives, he forgets. It's gone. And it's not he forgets like, hey, I forgot my keys. Or because, because, I, because I just forgot something. Think about this. He intentionally, he intentionally, I like it. He intentionally disintegrates it. It is no more. It's not a matter of that he forgot something. He intentionally eliminates it. It's no more as far as he's concerned. It's like, you know, I always get the pitch when the devil comes up and fills me with guilt or something. And then once again, I run back to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for this. And I can almost pitch in my own car and say, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't convict you of that. I didn't bring you to that place. You've already, that's gone. That's why Paul talks about this forgetting. Because because guilt paralyzes us. 
An enemy loves to take us, drag us into the path so that we remain paralyzed and unusable for the Holy Spirit. But conviction that is received to the place of confession, it sets us free. And it makes us ready to be used by the Holy Spirit of God. Am I guilty of all those things in the past? I am guilty. But you know what? First of all, I've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. First of all. And secondly, the Holy Spirit is at work in me and you every day renewing us in our walk and even reminding us of the great position we have in Christ Jesus. An unchangeable position. Doesn't that amaze you what, what Jesus has done for you? That he became sin that you might become the righteousness of God. And when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he, he sees perfection. That blows my mind. Because when I look at me, I say, ooh, we got a mess going on. Think about that. We all do that, don't we? But, the Holy, but, but God says, no. And the scripture says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's unchangeable. And that ought to amaze you. But we are still called to walk. We're still called to, 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 to be developing in that relationship with the Lord, growing in that relationship, maturing in that relationship, relationship with God. And if, if we live in the past, and even the guilt of the past, that cannot happen. So Paul reminds us that we need to forget those things, and then reaching forward. We need to be heading forward. Christians ought to be heading in one direction. That's the same direction the Lord's heading. Always heading in, in that direction. And he goes on to say that I press toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what his life was about. You ever think about that? That your life is not so much about the activities that are in it, although those are used of God to bless us, but, but, but our life is about what he talks about right here. Our life, we exist to glorify God. We exist to, to follow the path that God has for us. We exist to follow God. And again, not so much the event or the activities, it's the fact that God is there leading us and we're responding to him. We've got our focus where it needs to be. Well, the, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that we are to look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he, it, notice that with those two words there, he doesn't leave anything out. The author, he's the, Jesus is the originator of our faith. The finisher, when it's all said and done, it's Jesus. And the point is that any, everything between the origination and the end is Jesus. So we keep our eyes upon him. We, we keep our eyes upon him at all things and press on. Okay? And again, it's not a matter of determination as much as it is a matter of surrender to the Holy Spirit. Being submissive to the Holy Spirit. And not listening to the voices of the past to the enemy of your soul who would like to drag you back, but listening to the Holy Spirit and let him grow you as only he can grow you. It's a wonderful thing. I want to remind you this and then we'll move on. There is no such thing as spiritual superiority in the body of Christ. There are different levels of spiritual maturity, but that doesn't make someone superior to another person. Always remember that. That in Christ Jesus we are one. We're not, not this multi-tiered thing. We may be at different places, 
but we are one in Christ Jesus. Now, let's go on to the second point that I have for you guys tonight. Is that, is that, that when, we keep, when we keep on with what the Lord has given us, we need to... Tr- Let me put it... I put it, wrote it down here, but I want to re-say it. <laughs> okay. We need to keep on with what the Lord has given us. And as we keep on where, with what he has already revealed to us, understanding that in his time he will reveal more and more and more. Okay? Now, this is the only place that I like the word progressive. <laughs> in our individual walk and growth, God's revelation is progressive. Now, when I say progressive, I don't mean he's developing it on the run with us. I mean in his revelation to us, it's progressive. Which means he gives us today what he wants us to have today. And, and please don't spend a whole, talk, a whole lot of time worrying about what he didn't give you. I was always, it's always amazing in Bible studies, people say, Pastor, I only got this little bit. Okay, well, praise God for the little bit that you got. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit wants you to have. People worry too much. We Christians worry too much about what we don't get and do not celebrate what God has given us. So every day the Holy Spirit is working in your life and my life, revealing his truth at the rate and the amount that he wants us to have. Again, that requires us to be responsive to him. So what he says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Again, that's not slamming those who are not to that place of maturity. He loves even the immature there in the church, the ones that are just growing, the ones that are just, just starting out, okay? But he, and then, he, then he makes a say, and if anyone thinks otherwise, what's he say God will do? Well, he says, God will reveal even this to you. So Paul may have some great insight from the Lord as the apostle. I would say Paul has some great insight from the Lord as the apostle. Wouldn't you agree with that? That doesn't mean that when Paul shares it, everybody that he's sharing it with is going to get the whole thing. It's always, I'm always amazed by what God does on, a, on a, any given Sunday morning here at the church or, or in, in the years that I've pastored. So. 200 or so, so people out there. I, I prepare one message. I prepare one message. And then I have several people come and tell me from different angles at times what God gave them. And many times it's not, wait a minute, that wasn't even my intention. I may have to re-preach that to you because you didn't get it. <laughs> well, yeah, they got it. Because the ultimate teacher in any Bible-believing church is not the guy who stands behind the pulpit, but the Holy Spirit who speaks to the hearts of his people. Only the Holy Spirit can take one message, divide it up, if you will, in 200 different ways and touch everybody exactly where they need to be touched that day. People at different levels of their, of their spiritual walk um, and maturity and stuff like that, giving them what they need, giving what, you know, and, and, and I would even say sometimes withholding what, what, what the Holy Spirit knows they can't receive that day. How many of you have read the Bible more than once? If not the whole Bible, how many read several scriptures in the whole Bible more than once? Okay. So, have you ever got a different insight? Now, here, I do believe the Bible has a concrete message. I don't believe, I don't believe it's so vague that you can say, well, today I got this message, and yesterday I got a message that was completely different. Now, the, the message is never different. The amount of that true and complete message that you get is dependent upon the Holy Spirit who reveals that to you. Spiritual things of God are spiritually discerned. They're given by the Holy Spirit. They're not discovered by our intellect. 
So that's why you can read the Bible through and read the Bible through and read the Bible through and each time you read the Bible through. That's why we pastor can preach the same sermon on the same text five or six times. Okay. Here's the truth. You never run out of good material with this. You know, I have this habit of saying that's one of my favorite chapters. It's all good. Because you can't miss when you've got good material. So, so the Holy Spirit does that. So what Paul is saying to this, he's not slamming those who are not mature. It's a realization that in any group of believers, you're going to have, you're going to have people at different places in their growth. Okay? And if you don't get fully what he's saying, but wait. Wait upon the time that God will show it. Now, I've got to tell you this. That sometimes that's the hardest thing for me because I have what's called an A-type personality. Which means I think everybody ought to think the way I do. Right, Chip? I know you're evaluating me all the time. So I think everybody ought to see the world the way I see the world. And then I'll carry that on. But I think everybody ought to do, do it as I would do it. Now, I, I, I will say this. Over the years, that's softened. Because some people have reminded me that you have an A-type personality. I know the people that have what I would call A-plus-plus-plus personality. And when I see them, I can't stand to be around them. And I'm thinking, but poor people that are around me <laughs> that, that don't have that A-type personality, I can't stand to be around him. Part of the thing we need to do, especially we who have that, that type of personality, is trust God to speak to people as God needs to speak. And not try to force our understanding, our perception, our way upon them. So, Paul understands this. And that's what he's saying here. He says, you know, if some don't have this yet, well, God will bring them to that place. God will, the Holy Spirit will, will, will bring them to the place they need to be. So, but look at what he says in verse 16. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that you have already attained. In other words, wherever you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, then that's where you are. That's a pretty profound statement, right? Okay. Wherever you are is where you are. By the way, you can't be anywhere else than where you are. So think about this two ways. You can't be any other place than where you are, so quit looking back to where you were. And don't spend all your time in the present wishing you were somewhere else. Because where you are is where God wants you to be. Now, don't stagnate there. Press on toward the high, toward the high call. In other words, submit to the Holy Spirit. But realize, this is where I am right now. There is great freedom, I think, when you realize this is where I am right now. And this is who I am. And God uniquely made me to be who... I don't have to be anybody else. I don't have to even be anywhere else. What I need to be is where I am and who I am in the Holy Spirit today. Then, listen, when I understand that and I trust the Holy Spirit in that place, then he will move me as he wants to move me. Does that make sense to you? It's a hard thing to do. Because what we usually do is we look at examples and we say, I want to be like him or her. I want to I do everything the way they do it. And that may not be the whole leadership of the Holy Spirit. That may be kind of a, uh, well, can't, may, it may be some sort of an ego work in there. You know, 
I want to look like somebody else that I'm not. And you're not anybody else. You are who you are. And you are uniquely made of God to be who you are. And God has you where he wants you. And so he says, to the degree that you've already taken, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Being of the same mind in the church does not mean we're all at the same place in our development and in our maturity. Being of the same mind in the church, I would, I would describe it very simply as this, that as the body of Christ, we have agreed that we're going to focus our mind and we're going to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when we have that thought that each of us have that same mindset, focus on the Holy Spirit, Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Then a lot of things drop off. The comparison thing drops off. The envy drops off. The jealousy drops off. The having to have your own way drops off. The having to be right drops off. When the whole, say how wonderful it would be to be in a church where the whole body says, we just want to surrender, submit, and follow the Holy Spirit every day. And then we love those who are still immature in the faith. We come alongside them, we encourage them, we walk, walk beside them. We love those who've been in the faith for decades. And we appreciate their, their longevity and their walk as a follower of Jesus Christ. The body being the body, being the family. Because we have that one mind, that one mind that says we're focused on the Holy Spirit and what He wants. So Paul reminds us about ourselves that we haven't attained, we're not perfect yet. We're in a process, but as we go in this process, we need, we need to trust God where we are and also trust him to take us where he wants us to go. But not only for ourselves, we need to trust God for where our brothers and sisters are and trust the Holy Spirit to take them where he wants them to go. That's not our job. Okay? So let's look at the last thing. He talks about the fact that eternity is real. It, it, it almost, I almost say it almost goes without saying that eternity is real, but the world has changed so much, you can't take anything for granted nowadays. Now I'm looking around this room, I think everybody realizes that that eternity is real. How do you deal with that when people say, no, you know, they don't buy it? What do you stand upon? Again, we, we need to stand, stand upon, again, the clear teaching of, of the Word of God. He, ta- he talks them, t- tells them, in this way, follow His example. That pattern of, again, what did, what did he display? He displayed a humility before them. He hadn't attained. He's not perfect. He's continuing to grow. He's aware that the Holy Spirit's working in him. He said, follow that pattern. He goes on to say, verse, verse 18, because there are many who don't walk this way. And by the way, when he makes this statement, I believe he, he really, he's really saying there are many who intentionally don't walk this way. Just because someone's in the church does not mean they're a follower of Christ. And it doesn't even mean that they intend to follow Christ. And we have to have some discernment. And you say, well, how, how do we have that discernment? Well, there are some things that you can certainly look at. You could look at, you could look at lifestyles. You could look at what people practice. You certainly could listen to what people teach and what people say. Say, we're not supposed to judge. Well, you're not supposed to judge through eternal standing with God. That belongs to Him. But we certainly... There is, there is an accountability that comes along with being a part of the body of Christ. And you find it all throughout the New Testament. If I teach something that's wrong, 
you are required by the scripture to come and say, Pastor, I don't really think that that's what that says. If I intentionally teach, continue to teach something that's heresy, then you need to either remove yourself from me or remove me from you. If a Christian brother or sister is caught up in a sinful lifestyle, we are to go to them in humility and, 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 and brokenness before them and do our best to call them back to a walk with Christ. We're required to do these things. There is an accountability. What do you do when you have people who intentionally have no, well, well they have no intention of following what the scripture, and, and Paul's going to describe them. He says, for many walk of whom I've told you often. I like the apostle Paul. He's one of my favorite ones. You want to know why? He tells them often. And when he tells them, he'll call names. And I've had people through the years say, you should not be calling names. I had people walk out of church through it. I'm just really upset at you this morning. Why? Because you, you said to so, so-and-so was a heretic. I said, I said, actually what I said was, and apparently you, you don't have the discernment to, re, to see this, what he said is heretical. And what he continues to teach, even when he's corrected, is heresy. So by any definition, he's a heretic. So you understand there are heretics, and some of them are very popular today. I put a little thing up on my Facebook. I thought it was pretty funny. That picture, that picture of, of a smiling Jack. Joel Osteen. And it had Luther. And Joel Osteen was doing his thing. This is my Bible. It says what I say. It, it, I am what it says I am. And Luther said, and it says you're a heretic. And that's the truth. We don't want to say those things, but Paul has no problem doing those things. It's not just trying to attack someone who's a little bit different. You evaluate everybody's teaching by what they teach. And if, if I was brought up this way, and maybe, maybe you weren't brought up this way. If someone lies, they're a liar. If someone cheats, they're a cheater. If someone steals, they're a thief. If someone teaches heresy, they're a heretic. Okay, well, that's just that's the way I was brought up. Okay, so he says, I tell you often, and notice what he says, and I tell you weeping. He's not happy that there are heretics in the church, and we shouldn't be happy either. It's not the joy of, of, of identifying heretics. It, it ought to break our heart. Not only for them who, unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and pulls them to salvation, they're not going to come to salvation, but think of, in some cases, the literally thousands, not hundreds of thousands that are following them. And consider them because of their notoriety or their popularity uh, or, or their huge ministry or whatever it may be. Consider them to be valid because, and that's how people evaluate. They look how many people follow. Must be true. Really. And Jesus says something about heaven and hell and compared numbers. And it wasn't heaven that won out on the popularity contest. And it rarely is. Truth Godliness, holiness, righteousness is rarely the popular thing or the popular path. So he says, I tell you these things even weeping. And here's what he said. That, now, this is a strong statement. That they are actually enemies of the cross of Christ. They are enemies of the gospel. Please do not fall into that PC and that RC crowd that, that wants to say 
that every expression of religious faith is just as valid as another. And yet that's where things are heading. It is true that people are free to believe whatever they want to believe. That's true. But we need to understand that it's also true that not every expression of a religious faith is as valid as another one. There are some that will leave. There are some, let me put it, what Paul said. There are some religious expressions that are enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are contrary to everything that the Bible teaches about the gospel. And they're not supposed to be received by Christians as being okay. They're not supposed to be condoned, and they're not supposed to be compromised by Christians by, by joining ourselves with these groups and saying, you know, we all just had a religious experience. It doesn't matter. You, you believe in Buddha. I believe in Jesus. You believe in, in Muhammad. And, you know, we can go right on the, down the list. They're not all valid. They're not all legitimate. And they're not all on a... I know this makes us look bad. They're not all on an equal plane. The gospel is above all other teachings. It is the only way to salvation. There's no other way. Okay? And either we believe that or we don't believe it. And we got to quit. We have to quit apologizing because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to quit apologizing for the cross of Christ. We've got to quit setting down at the tables of our enemies and telling them they're okay when they're not okay. All right. Look what he says, verse 19. Their end is what? Destruction. So where are these false teachers and heretics going, according to Scripture? Destruction. Okay? Where God is their belly. That's not just, he's not just calling them, uh, what's the word I was thinking of? Um, gluttons. He's not just calling them gluttons here. He's talking about they exist to, basically what he's saying, is that the term speaks of, they exist to take care of just their own selves. Not just gluttony. It can be it can be riches. It can be uh, material goods. It can be notoriety. It can be power. It can be prestige. It can be all these things. In other words, their God is themselves. When he says their God is their belly, they're saying that their God is themselves. They exist for themselves. Their God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame. The very thing that they think is their most. Their most precious asset, that which they hold, that which they revere, that which they worship, Paul says, that's actually their shame. That which they trust is not trustworthy. And it is their shame. And it says that they set their minds on earthly things. Well, that's an interesting little statement there. Because that kind of fits in with the, the thing where people want to, we in the church, to stop setting our mind on heavenly things. They want us to be earthly minded. Again, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we are to set our mind on things above. For we are seated already in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And when we do that, then we're ready to be used of God in a world that needs to know that Jesus Christ exists. And he reminds us here in verse 20, that same thought. For our citizenship is where? We have, to get a, we have to get a hold of that. We want to live in both worlds. And the Bible says that our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? And we are waiting eagerly for that, as we are waiting for, eagerly for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What will he do when, we come, when he comes? What will he do on that day? He will transform our lowly body 
that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Aren't you glad this isn't what you got for eternity? Amen. Amen. Okay. This is not what it is. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I always, 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 I think it's going to be real. Jesus allowed them to touch him. I don't use the word physical because I think physical speaks of the plane we live in now. But it's, it's going to be tangible. It's going to be real. We're not just going to be some sort of ooze or mist out there in eternity. He says we will receive a glorified body. And if you remember in the scripture, Jesus revealed himself at least a couple times in his glorified body. The description of Daniel prior to Jesus' first coming is very similar to the description of, John, uh, description of Jesus of John in the book of Revelation. Both of them speak of that glorified one. So, so we have the promise of, Paul says elsewhere, as he is, we shall also be. A body that is equipped, prepared, and adequate for eternity. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more sickness. All those things that are against us in this world, we have promised in Christ Jesus, will, will, will no longer be our, our problem, if you will, in eternity. Think about this. He says, he says His glorious body, according to the work by which He is even able to, to subdue all things to Himself. He promises... Who promises? The one who has the power to subdue all things. The one who has overcome all things. The all-powerful one, the almighty one. We have that promise in him. Paul finishes chapter 3 by reminding us that there is an eternity. And we really need to keep our eyes upon that. It's not what's going on in this earth that that we need to keep our eyes on. But but on what, what God has promised us in eternity. It's another reason why I believe our philosophy needs to be, even as a church, not to, not to so much look around and discover the needs we think need to be met, even in our own community, but to spend time before God in prayer and say, God, what are the needs that you want to meet in this community? Not by a survey that these things are done, it's by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what, it, what should be true, we go back to this middle section here that we talked about tonight, we are already, I believe, are already acting on what we believe the Holy Spirit has revealed. But I believe we need to spend more time with Him, asking Him to show us what He has next, where we need to go, what we need to be doing. And at all times, keeping our mind on heavenly things and not on the things of this earth. Eternity is real, it's part of our message. Okay? And there are those who deny. And we need to realize that. And we're going to stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight, for our time together. For those who gather here on Sunday night. And I pray, even as, even as Paul talked about it right here, Lord, that we would receive, even tonight, that which you have for us. Father, that we would, we would take it in ourselves and we would trust you with what your Holy Spirit has taught us. And from the place we are right now, that, Father, that we would always follow you. So that that our path might be the path you have for us. And the work that you've called us to, that we would be involved in it. Because you're the one who's leading us. Father, help us to keep our eyes on the promise we have been given in your son Jesus Christ in eternity. 
Help us not easily to set aside that great promise and take our eyes off of that which is really valuable. Let us stand in your truth. And let us stand in that truth. And in your holiness and your righteousness, submitted to your Holy Spirit, until that day you call us home to be with yourself. Thank you for allowing us to be your church. Thank you for speaking to us, guiding us, teaching us, comforting us, all the things that we talked about that your Holy Spirit does in our life. Help us to walk as your people in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.